Today we're going to shift from the home setting and we're going to move to an outside public setting where Jesus is going to be preaching to a large crowd and then uh, they're going to move to a more private teaching time where Jesus is going to be meeting with the, the insiders, the inner circle, the true followers there. And here's what we discover as we follow the life of Jesus. <clears throat> There's going to be many people that follow the works of Jesus, and they're in awe of the miracles of Jesus. They, they follow the ways of Jesus. And some will follow the words of Jesus, but many will not. Many will not hear, they will not listen, they will not obey, they will not follow, and they go their separate ways, almost scratching their heads. You know, Mark is a fast-paced book, and as Mark moves, it's not often talking about his teachings. In fact, it's Jesus' whole life is a teaching lesson. But in Mark chapter 4, and then Mark, later on in Mark chapter 12, we see Mark pause from all of the action and activities to just pause for the teaching of Jesus. And so today we're going to see Jesus in kind of a different setting. And today we're going to see Jesus speaking in parables. Now, some of you may be familiar with parables or may not be familiar with parables. It was one of Jesus' main preaching, teaching styles. And there's a couple reasons for that. But, but what we see in the book, the Gospel of Matthew and Luke, is 60 parables and then a handful in the book of Mark and then none in the book of John. But what was the most popular thing in all of the parables? Well, it was the topic of the kingdom of God. Uh, and he would illustrate this in everyday life situations. Now, a parable is simply uh, to compare, to place something side by side. He would take something and then compare it with something else. For instance, if you didn't know what a pool noodle was, I might be able to say, hey, this is, this is a straw. It's, it's bendy, it's plastic, it's blue. It's hollow on the inside. Um, a pool noodle is somewhat like this. If we were to have a pool noodle here, uh, it, it's, it's flexible, it's bendy, it floats. It's similar, but it's different. And these parables are going to be illustrations to help some um, understand a little better. But here's what Jesus does in his parables. His parables are to conceal truth and to reveal truth. So some are going to be enlightened and some are going to be still in the darkness, kind of scratching their heads like, what in the world is he talking about? Well, there's a difference between an allegory and a parable. Allegories that, that Jesus will sometimes do um, is for any and all people. In fact, he actually did this in last week's sermon. As he was talking, he would say like, how can Satan cast out Satan? How is, how is it that a divided kingdom can stand? Anyone and all people can, can get and understand that. But then when Jesus shifts to a parable, there's going to be certain things that he opens the window of people's eyes and hearts to see, and others it will be closed. And that's what we're going to see even here today as he speaks. Now, parables are not new to Jesus. In fact, in the Old Testament, you'll see Old Testament parables. And here's what's interesting. As you look at Old Testament parables and teachings and stories to prove a point, here's what we discover we discover that the parables are always followed with some sort of judgment or consequence based on sin. So you'll see Nathan go to David and say, hey, hey, hey King David, um, I want to tell you this story uh, of this, this, this farmer who is stealing sheep and he's doing all these things, and David is outraged. 
And then Nathan says, you are that man. And here Jesus is going to be bringing forth a parable as a means of judgment or some consequences. Because if we remember back to uh, Matthew chapter 3 or Mark chapter 3, here's what we see. People rejecting God's word and their hardness of heart. Jesus has been exposing truth, exposing truth, exposing truth. And so Jesus, because these people are trying to distract and destroy his ministry, he's, he's saying, no longer am I an open book for you to, to learn and grasp and glean everything from me. Because you just criticize, you just try to destroy. And so I'm going to reveal some truth, but not all truth to you. And so because of that, I'm going to start teaching in parables. And those that want to hear, those that want to listen, those that want to learn, I'm going to give you that opportunity. And so, what we think, when we think of parables, I want you to think of parables as really a, a work of God's grace, where he enlightens for believers, those insiders, but he obscures for unbelievers, those who reject, those who refuse. It's almost like a stained glass window. From the outside, you can see it, but it's dull, and it's not bright, and it's not whatever. You can't really see it. You, you kind of see it, but not really. But then for the insider, the one that is inside where the, the light is radiating through, it's brilliant, it's bright, it's beautiful. And this is what Jesus is going to unpack as he unpacks parables. The title of today's message is this. The sower, the seed, and the soil. A blueprint for kingdom building. You see, by this time in Jesus' ministry, there's going to be many that are following him and saying, Jesus, what's the game plan? What's the blueprint? How is this all going to work out? And they had a lot of questions in their mind, and Jesus is going to be unpacking all of these things. He wants them to see. He wants them to understand. But because he's surrounded by crowds all of the time, there's only so much he can divulge and let them in on. And then there's going to be those private meetings where he's going to elaborate. When I was in college, I got a job with a construction crew. And when I got a job with a construction crew, there was the main contractor, and he had the blueprint for everything. Um, and I was just a nobody. I didn't know much. I'm just the muscle. I'm just the go get the wood, go get the hammer, do this, this, and this. But throughout the summer, you know, he, he, would, he would get the supplies. He would equip us. He would tell us to do this, do this, do this. And we'd kind of glance at the blueprint here or there. But he had the master plan, right? And at the beginning, I wasn't sure what was going on. We just had this large pile of wood and this stuff that we're supposed to make. And over the process of time, by the end of summer, we'd actually built a few houses. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. I, I had no idea in the beginning what would become in the end. Here's what Jesus is wanting to do. Jesus is wanting to unpack the blueprint of his kingdom building process. He wants them to see, to understand, because right now, I don't know what's going on. And he is going to unpack this. So having said that, we're going to be flying through Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. The word of God. Again, he began to teach by the sea, and a very large crowd gathered around him. So he got into a boat on the sea and sat down. While the whole crowd was by the sea on the shore, he taught them many things in parables. And in teaching, he said to them, listen. Consider the sower who went out to sow. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Others fell on the rocky ground where it didn't have much soil. And it grew up quickly, since the soil wasn't deep. 
But the sun came up, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it didn't produce fruit. Still other seed fell on good ground, and it grew up, producing fruit that increased 30, 60, and 100 times. Then he said, let anyone who has ears to hear, listen. Now we're going to see a scene shift. When he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable. He answered them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything comes in parables. So that they may indeed look and yet not perceive. They may indeed listen and yet not understand. Otherwise, they might turn back and be forgiven. Then he said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand all of the parables? The sower sows the word. Some are like the word sown on the path. When they hear it, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word sown in them. And others are like seeds sown on rocky ground. When they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy. But they have no root. And they are short-lived. When distress and persecution comes because of the word, they immediately fall away. Others are like seeds sown among thorns. These are the ones who hear the word. But the worries of this age, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires of other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And those like the seeds sown on good ground hear the word, welcome it, produce fruit 30, 60, and 100 times what it was. That's a lot of scripture to get through in a little amount of time, and so buckle up. Verses 1 through 20, it's this big story, but it really has two outer sections and a middle section. Verses 1 through 9 are this fuzzy understanding And it's really this hint, the subtle indicator of Jesus as the sower, the one going out. And then verses 13 through 20 is more broader and more in-depth, and it's really describing those around him, those followers. You're going to be sowers as well. But in the middle there, verses 10 through 13, Jesus is like, don't, don't miss this first section, don't miss the second second section. They're all really important because, listen, if you miss the importance of this parable, the ones yet to come will not make sense either. And so grasp this. You need to understand, as I speak in parables many times, grasp some of the importance of this one because it's going to be very helpful moving forward. The big idea this morning is this. Christians are to faithfully share the gospel while trusting God to faithfully build his kingdom. I'm going to say that again. Christians are to faithfully share the gospel while trusting God to faithfully build his kingdom. They're wondering, how is this all going to come about? God's going to build his kingdom. You have a job, he's going to do his job. You know, um, As we look at this first public setting, what's interesting here, they go out to the Sea of Galilee, probably near Capernaum. 
the crowd is pressing in once again, and just like in earlier chapters, chapter 2 and 3, uh, he says, hey, get me a boat. And notice there in verse 1, it says that he sat. He just sat. There's this large crowd of people on the seashore there. It's flat land before it goes up to the hill country of all this farmland. And it's created a great amphitheater. Why does he sit? Maybe the boat was unstable, you know, and so he just needs to sit for his own safety. Uh, Oftentimes rabbis would sit and and teach from that style. And maybe he was just going to be preaching and teaching really long. It says that he had many parables to teach. And so he's like, I'm going to be here a while. I might as well have a seat. But he sits down and he starts to explain and so we see this, this sitting down. It's on the shoreline there. It says that he taught him in many parables, even though he knew, as he taught, some would understand and some would not. Some would merely endure the teaching time. Oh, yeah, is it time to leave yet? Because they're just here for the miracles. They're not there for the right reasons. But as he sits down to teach, he says there in verse 3, Listen. Look this way, listen up. I mean, in, in this chapter, he says, listen ten times. The word listen is, is mentioned ten times in, in Luke chapter 4, or in Mark chapter 4. And he wants the, the audience to tune in, to listen in, to, to, to lean into the truth in which he's going to go. And then he says, consider the sower who went out to sow. And maybe at this time, he, he looks out across the land, and maybe there's a farmer out there, he's sowing. He, he's, he's putting the seed in the ground. Anywhere and everywhere, he takes his bag of seed and he just starts sowing. It's not really that hard. He's just sowing. He's not really all that concerned with where the seed actually lands. In fact, you think of TV broadcasting. It's going out all around the world. Broadcasting is actually a farming term, and it's this this concept of broadcasting. It's just throwing the seed out there. Some of it might land here, here, here. I'm not going to pick up all these seeds and put them over here, because I don't even know if this is good soil underneath here. He's just broadcasting. He's just sowing. He's just sowing. He's just sowing, knowing sooner or later something good is going to come out of all of this sowing. There's so much land. I just got to sow. I just got to sow. I just got to sow. And so he talks about the sowing. And in verse 4, we're going to hit some of the bad soil, the bad ground. And he says, some fell on the path. You see, in this day and time, they didn't have fences. What they would have had were their main fields, and then there's this pathway, about three feet long, that everyone would travel along. And as people travel along this pathway, this pathway is naturally going to get hard. It's going to get packed down. As seeds would land there, it's naturally not going to be a good plant a good place for it to actually be planted and take root. In fact, what will happen? Birds will come away, snatch the seed. But then he talks about this another bad soil, this other bad ground. So some fell on rocky ground. Well, when you think of rocky ground, don't be thinking of small rebel uh, pebbles or rocks. Israel is known for just a ton of limestone, limestone everywhere. So what looks like good ground, you know, two, three inches, four inches, five inches underneath the ground is a bedrock of limestone. So when it talks about in that scripture it going down, 
getting a little bit of root, but then hitting a rock. It's talking about hitting a limestone, and then it naturally comes back up, but it doesn't have a deep root system. It cannot get the, the, the nutrients and moisture that it needs, and so it fades out and withers out, and it dies. But then there's the, the third one, the, the thorny ground. Yeah, I can remember I planted a, tried to plant a little garden a few years ago, and I thought it had some good soil. It looked really good. Planted some tomato plants and some other things. And you know what started happening? We started watering that. Oh, can't wait for the tomato plants. You know what started coming up? Weeds. Weeds everywhere. And the weeds overtook the tomato plant. The tomato plant never took off, but the weeds certainly did. Just one more reminder of the fallen world in which we live. Uh, these weeds grow deep and strong roots, and they can quickly overtake the young seeds, and they don't have a chance. They don't have a chance to, to grow and bring forth fruit. And so we see these three different groups, but then Jesus transitions to the good, the good ground, the good soil, some that's producing 30 and 60 and 100 times, like this is good, rich soil. Who knows where the soil is at and how much is there? There's such large ground, so we're just going to sow. We're just going to sow, hoping, praying, thinking, somewhere along the way, some of these seeds are going to take root, and it's going to grow and blossom and flourish, and whoa, it's going to pay off. Up until this point in the story, everyone is tracking. Everyone is following Jesus. But when Jesus taught in parables, there's usually this aha, eureka moment, this this whoa moment, or this moment where, whoa, I didn't see that coming, and what does that mean? Because when he starts talking 30, 60, 100, you know what's actually going on there? They're thinking, that, that does not happen. If that were to happen, that would be a miracle. That would be a work of God. That's precisely the point that Jesus is going to be looking to make. What's going to take place is going to be a work of God, because good ground back in that day would have actually been a seven to eight times fold, or, or maybe 10 would be really good. But when you tar- start talking 30, 60, 100, that's just like mind-blowing. And so he kind of lays that out there. And then it doesn't really indicate he says a whole lot else. It's like he just lets it linger. But then look at verse 9. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen. That phrase, ears to hear, is mentioned eight times in the New Testament. And it's basically Jesus saying, hey, you want to learn more? You want to actually truly understand what I'm talking about? Listen up and come see me and we'll talk later. It's like, hey, if I've confused you, you got questions or comments, come talk to me later. Jesus has just put a whole lot of more questions than answers in their mind concerning the 30, 60, 100 and all this stuff. It's like this fuzzy land. And they're like, hmm. But he's like, hey, you really want to listen? You really want to learn? You really want to be a follower and and all these things? Come see me. And we'll dig in. We'll dive in. We'll digest together. And and you will grow and you will flourish. And I have Jesus is giving this invitation to them because he knows there's a lot of people that aren't there to learn of him, to learn from him. They they need a miracle. They need a healing. They they need something else. And they're they're not there for the right reasons. They're there to, to critique him, to be able to cast stones at him, to be able to chastise him. So why is Jesus going to give them all this stuff? Like, if you're, if you're a real learner, I mean, you see in John chapter 3, right, Nicodemus? He, he's exploring. He's heard Jesus in some of these parables, and then he goes to him, how is it a man can be born again? He's, he's coming to some of these conclusions based on some parables and seeds that have been planted, and he's wanting to grow in his knowledge and understanding of this. 
And that's what we see going on right here. And in verse 10, we're going to see the shift from the big crowd, the public setting, to the private setting. It says there in verse 10, when he was alone, those around him, they came and you know, they, they want to ask about the parable. They heard it publicly, now they want to get more details privately. In verse 11, we see that those learners, those believers, those followers, they're going to get some new additional insight as insiders. It's like the members only information. And Jesus says this, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given, given to you. But to those outside, everything comes in parables. You see, the secret or mystery means the knowledge of God that cannot be attained by natural means. God has given them eyes to see, ears to hear, faith to follow. That is why the secret or mystery of all of these unknowns is given and not attained. God is giving this to you. God is opening your eyes. God is enlightening you. You see, Jesus wasn't there just to fill their heads with facts. But he wanted them to, to have faith that's granted by God so they may have true knowledge, so that they, they may truly see and understand these things at a deeper, more important level. He really knew this was really important because I'm going to pass from this scene, and it's really important that you would know you would grow, and that you'd be able to go on forth sowing these things and telling others about these things. And so Jesus, he's revealing this secret in verse 11. What's one of the things he's revealing? Is the providence of God, the power of God, is effective to produce a fruit, to produce something within this world, to produce a harvest. It may not look like it now, we may not see it now, but God, God is at work, and he's wanting them to see this. And here the insiders are getting in on this secret. They're getting in on this mystery. And that's what, that's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. One who, who, who hears, who believes, and who bears fruit. That's kind of like Mark's definition of faith. Faith is this hearing, this believing, and this following, and it's living these things out. But to the outsiders, everything is in parables. It's like a, a foreign language to them. Look at verse 12, though. Verse 12 speaks to the fact that they, the outsiders says that they look, but they don't perceive. They listen, but they do not understand. What do we see going on here is God's sovereign control and his selective timing and allowing some to be growing in the light of Jesus while others remain in darkness. The parable reveals and it conceals truth. This verse 12 is really a quote from Isaiah, chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. And what's going on here is, just as in Isaiah's day, there are those who will reject the ways of God. And just as in Jesus' day, there are those Jews who are rejecting, rebelling against the ways and words of Jesus. But here's what's interesting. Oftentimes when they quote in the New Testament it means we should go back and look at a bigger, broader thing. And in verse 13 of Isaiah chapter 6, it goes on and says, but there will be a remnant. There will be some who believe and some who will be preserved and some who will grow. It's talking about this, this harvest. 
And he wants these disciples, these true followers of Jesus, to learn of this, to know of this, to, to grow by this. Six times this Isaiah passage is mentioned in the New Testament. But here's what we see. Those with a hardened heart, they're hard of hearing. But here's the good news. God can soften and improve their hearts. He can help them to see. He can grant them the faith to believe. You see, the only difference of the unfruitful seed and the fruitful seed is not the problem with the seed. It is the soil in which the seed is planted. And so the hearing and faith, the, the soil within their heart is the problem. If we were to look at a couple passages in Ezekiel and Jeremiah, we'll probably do that in our community groups this week, we'll see how God can take the hardened heart and break it and soften it and use it and do great things. We have to take hope in that for, for those that maybe have a hardened heart. But Mark here is, he's showing this tension. This tension between the sovereignty of God and the free will of man in establishing God's kingdom. You see, here's what's interesting. Man is accountable for what he hears and does, right? We saw that last week in Mark chapter 3. They, they will not be forgiven for their rebellion. They're being held accountable for that. And yet here, we see that, that God is revealing truth and concealing truth. How does all of that all play out? Somewhat of a mystery. And so we must continue to lean in and learn of God, knowing that we will be accountable for what we hear, what we say, what we do, and yet also trusting this God who's controlling and overall and establishing his kingdom. And so it's being revealed here. But one of the clues to receiving this mystery, to having this revealed of what is the kingdom of God, is found in Jesus. No one else was going to learn of the kingdom of God and what it meant except from Jesus. He wanted his disciples to see, to know, to learn, and understand this so that they would be able to take this knowledge of Jesus and his kingdom and be able to show and share this with others. So he said, this is really important that you would grasp this one because if we don't grasp this one, it's going to be hard to grasp the ones in the future. In Exodus chapter 14, we see this story, a true story. We see the cloud that separates the fleeing Israelites from the pursuing Egyptians. The pursuing Egyptians are left in darkness. And those fleeing the Israelites, God's people, are left in light. And right now, Jesus is showing this. You won't see, but you will see. And this is a revelation of God. This is the providence of God's great care for you, revealing his plan of what he's going to be working and doing. Bear with me. Listen in. Lean into this. I want you to learn of this. And so verse 13, he's just saying, hey, listen, you get this? You're going to get everything. You don't get this, everything else might be lost. It's like if you miss two days of math class and they're, they're talking about some real good basic truths about it, and then you show up on day three, you're going to be lost. He's like, you've got to learn this stuff. This is really good stuff for you to learn. And so the essential truth is the essential work of God. God doing what we cannot do, and that's what they, he wants them to see. This kingdom-building process is going to be a work of God. Not you, but a work of God. God is going to build and establish his kingdom. He wants you to be a part of it. You can play a special role in it, and, and he wants you However, God is going to be doing something, and you may not always see, you may not always understand, 
but you must know and trust that God is at work, working behind the scenes. Just like when you plant a seed in the ground, you may not be able to see all of of what's going on, but eventually, sometime, if it's planted in good soil and has all the, the ingredients it needs to grow, it will grow and it will flourish and it will bring forth fruit. That's often a process of time. You might go out and plant something with your young child, and they're like, "Ah, it's not growing, I don't see any results. No, 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 no. It's a process. We must trust this process and what God is up to. And Jesus is wanting his disciples to to know this, because later on, they may be prone to forget this. When what they look at is Jesus establishing this kingdom is all falling apart at the cross, he wants them to say, no, 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 starting small, getting big, I'm at work here. Verse 14 says, the sower sows the word. The sower sows the word. In Luke chapter 8, the the same parable, it says the seed is the word of God. So we understand that the sower, in the early part, is, is representing Jesus, but then really the sower is going to be all believers of Jesus. So what is it that we're sowing? What is it that we're supposed to be going around and passing out? Is it my own thoughts, my own wit and wisdom? Is that what I should give? No. The seed that we are to be sowing is the word of God, particularly the gospel, the the message of Jesus, the message of the Messiah. That's what we need to be sowing, and he's wanting them to understand that. This is the seed that we must sow. Here's what I want us to understand. Mark doesn't tell us the style of the sower or the specialness of the seed. You see, sowing isn't based on the personality to sow or a self-produced seed. You don't have to make your own seed of of what it is. It's the gospel. And you don't have to have some sort of style or personality to sow the seed. I mean, what is sowing? I mean, how hard is this, right? It's simply sowing. It's sowing. It's sowing. It's sowing. And he's wanting them to understand this because it's such a simple concept of sowing. Because he knew this, many people would make excuses. Well, I can't sow. That's, that's not my personality. That's not my gifting. That's not my talent. Well, guess what? The Bible doesn't say, you will be gifted with the ability to sow. You will be get grafted the ability and talent to sow. No, no, no. He just says sow. That, that's, that's all he says. Sow, sow, sow. That's what he's wanting us to understand. You see, sowing isn't based on a special ability, but rather our sacrificial availability. Do you see that, guys? It's not a matter of, like, it's hard work, it's too, it's not me, it's not my person, that doesn't matter. If you're a follower of Jesus, you sow. If you want to be a part of this, you want to be a part of this inside crowd, you sow. This is what I'm calling you to. After I pass the scene, if no one is sowing, no one is going, what's going to happen? Well, listen, we understand this. If you don't sow a garden this summer, you will not have a garden. Okay, that makes sense, right? So if you want to see growth, if you want to see the, the, the further establishment of the kingdom, you want to see people come to, to know and follow this Jesus... You want to see that per- firsthand? I mean, God is doing that all around the world. We, we don't see and know all those things. But if you want to see that actually happen, you want to see God's kingdom grow right before our very eyes, you should probably sow. If you don't sow, you ought not expect it to grow. 
I mean, that just makes sense to me. Doesn't it make sense to you? And he's wanting this to make sense to them. He's wanting them to get this, to grasp this. See, sowing is simply spreading the good news to the ground wherever we cover. So maybe as Jesus looked out on the amphitheater, he, he made a point to a sower. You, you see him? He's just, he's just all over the lands. He's just sowing. Wherever he goes, he's sowing. He's sowing here. He's sowing there. That's what he does. He sows. Believer, you ought to be sowing. That, that's, what, that's what he's wanting them to see. And the seed of the word of God is the gospel, which brings life through the Holy Spirit's power. It's the power that's going to sing to, to bring forth this growth. You see, disciples are t- committed to sowing. But they know this, just as the sower knows this. There's going to be obstacles. And yet, regardless of those obstacles, they're going to leave the outcome to God and his work. They're going to leave God and his providence and his power to bring forth life in his time and his way. You see, in sowing, just as one sowing, not knowing all of the ground, there's going to be sowing with an expectation of bad ground. You start sowing, the more you start sowing, the more you, fight, the more you might start finding people ridiculing you. The more you might start finding people rejecting you. Isn't this what Jesus found? He's just sowing, he's just sowing, and he's finding all of these things, and yet he's like, you know what? I don't care. I'm just going to keep sowing. I'm just going to do what God's called me to do. Because I know sooner or later, there's going to be some here and some here, here, here. I'm just going to keep sowing. I'm going to keep sowing. And so now he's going to elaborate on this second part of the parable. Verse 15, he says, the, the path, the hard ground, uh, he's gonna, Satan's going to come, he's going to take it away. I don't, that's unfortunate, that stinks. Ah. But guess what? That's, that's not our problem to fix. We are called to simply sow the seeds. Satan is alert and active, and as you start planting seeds, he might start trying to pick them up. But Satan is not omnipresent. He can't be all places, all times, doing all things. And so you sow here, you sow here, you sow here. Maybe Satan gets involved in some of the stuff over here, but maybe you hit some good soil over here, and it grows. Just as Satan is alert and active, you and I, we are called to be alert and active and just actively sowing. That's what he's called us to do. Verse 16 and 17 talks about this rocky ground. He says it's short term, just like it goes down, hits the limestone, comes back up. It's short term. At first, it's received with joy. Oh, I love Jesus. This is so awesome. But for whatever reason, it doesn't take root. Uh, They just discover it's not what they thought it would be. And they don't get grounded. They don't get strengthened. It's just temporary. And so trials and tribulations and persecutions come. And they just tap out. I'm done. This isn't what we thought it was. And guess what happens to those people? They, they leave. They, they, they thought they were followers of Jesus, just like many people followed Jesus in the early days. Eh, that's not what I, and then they leave, and they get tossed and turned with the winds and waves of this life because they're not grounded. They're not rooted. And then verse 18 and 19, he talks about this thorny ground. At first, it seems like they hear it, right? Oh, yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, yeah. They hear it. They see it. But then what happens Doubts and worries arise with the winds and waves of life. The storms of life come. And then there's also these distractions. The glitter and something sparkly over here, and they run over here, and there's desires here, and they're deceived here. And before they know it, rather than following the way of Jesus, they're following the way of the world, and they're getting caught up and entangled and enticed by all of these things. And so rather than having a fruitful life, flourishing life, they wither 
they fade and they're fruitless. Well, this is all bad stuff. And Jesus wanted his disciples to know this is going to happen. This is the reality. As you sow, you're gonna, this is going to happen. But take heart. Find hope in verse 20. He says, oh, but sooner or later, you're going to hear some good ground. Oh, I want to hear some good ground. And this is what he says. You start sowing enough, sooner or later, some will hear. What? Some will welcome the word. What? Some will produce fruit. What? And it will grow, and it will grow. Here's the thing. The sower that's sowing, he doesn't know who, when, how, where it's all going to come about. He's just sowing in faith, knowing sooner or later something is going to happen. I'm going to hit good ground and it's bring forth fruit. He's wanting his disciples to know, you just keep faithfully sowing. And sooner or later, here, there, somewhere along the way, God is going to, to build up and continue to build up his kingdom. Forget about all the bad soil. Don't let that distract you. Just, 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 just keep sowing. Just keep sowing. Just keep sowing. It's like that, that finding Nemo. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. No, just keep sowing. Just keep sowing. That's what he's called us to do. If you are not sowing, you are not doing what God's called you to do. Like, that, that, that's, just, that's, just, that's just, Jesus calls us to sow. If we're not sowing, what are we doing, right? And so he wants us to understand the importance of this matter of sowing. But, but oh, verse 20 is so good. He talks about this good ground. Here's what we need to understand, and I think this can be liberating if you just drink this in. We don't bring about change in people. That's the work of the gospel. I think you know this, but you and I, we can't control the soil. We are just simply cause, called to spread the seed. We can't soften and transform the soil. There's no magic ingredients for us to transform the soil from bad soil to good soil. But you know who can? God can. God can take the, the hardened heart and can soften it. God can take those in darkness and enlighten them. That is a work of God. And so we just keep sowing and say, Lord, you do your work. When, where, how you want. I'm committing it to you. I just want to be faithful in sowing and trust you and your providence and your power to do what you alone can do. These people, I don't, I don't, it seems like a waste of time. I'm just going to keep sowing. Just keep sowing. That's what he wants them to understand. You know, the ongoing sowing, the persistent sowing, the faithful sowing of Jesus might have looked futile. I mean, day in, day out, he just goes from here to here to here to here, sowing one town to the next. Some people running him out, some people want to kill him. He just keeps sowing, he just keeps going. God, I'm trusting this to you. We're building your kingdom, and I'm just going to be faithful in sowing. And the disciples along the way, I mean, might have thought in the beginning, God is building a kingdom. Well, we got thousands of people following us. Look at this crowd. You keep following Jesus, and here's what you see. It goes from the thousands of followers to a group of 12 and a handful of others. And then the night of being deceived, betrayed in the garden, he goes from his 12 to zero. Then at the cross, it's John and his mother. 
And then after, you know, and there's just, what? there's no way this is going anywhere. And then after the resurrection, he's seen by hundreds. Okay, that's good. And then after his ascension in Jerusalem, now they're back down to 120. Is this ever going to grow? Is this, is this kingdom ever going to be built? It seems so small. It seems so trivial. And he worked and he sowed and he sowed. And you know what happened? You keep reading the book of Acts and you fast forward through the book of Acts to where we're at today. There's this huge, bountiful harvest that has taken place 30, 60, 100 times. This is what Jesus was talking about to this young group of 12. Oh, yes, just keep sowing. God is going to be doing and expanding his work. Rest in this. Rejoice in this. You know, at times, we might be discouraged in sowing. Well, you know, it's just hard, and it is. People might ridicule us and reject us, and that's very true. We hit some bad soil. So we ought not be surprised by that, but we also not, shouldn't let that stop us from sowing. You know, I think one of the reasons why we get discouraged in the sowing is I just keep sowing. I don't see an immediate return. We want to see the return, right? You, you invest in something, you want to see the return. You know what's interesting? As you contemplate the bad soils, oftentimes they're seeing an immediate return. It sprouted up, <laughs> died off. The immediate returns were not always a good thing. <laughs> we have to be thinking long-term. Lord, I just want to sow, and you grow as you see fit in your will, in your way, in your time. I'm just going to trust your providence. I just want to faithfully sow and allow you to grow and build your kingdom. Just help me. Help me be a good sower. Help me. Help me. Help me. As we close, I want to have uh, these three call to actions, if you will. It's pretty simple. But you'll see them right here. When we consider the, the sowing aspect, we need to be committed and consistent. That is, if you say, hey, I'm a, I'm a follower of Christ, okay. Then say, Lord, by your grace, enable me, help me to be ready and willing 24-7 just to be a sower. The fact is, all of us this week, even in 30 minutes, we're going to walk out of here, we're going to go our separate ways, separate, separate paths, encountering separate people. I can't be all things to all people, and neither can you. But if all of us spread out, and we're just sowing, just sowing, we just need to be committed. Uh, committed and consistent. We can't just sow one day and then, ah, I didn't see anything happen, and then be done. No, he just wants us to be committed and consistent in our sowing. And then you think of the seed. Where it says, be clear, be concise. You don't need to reinvent the wheel. The seed is the gospel. It's Christ. Nothing more, nothing less. It's Christ. That's what we need to be mindful of. It's Christ and him crucified, and it is Christ who brings forth life. And so you don't need to get all witty or creative or crafty. And if I can just have the right scheme, the right sales pitch. No, no, no. These 12 apostles, they're all so different. And yet God uses all of them in different and unique ways. That's really important for us to understand because sometimes it's like, 
Man, I just, if I just had this person, if I was just like this person, then I could be better. No, 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 just, just be you. Just be you and seek to tell people about Jesus how you can. And you're like, you know, I don't know how to do that. Listen, if that's what you're thinking, in March we have this equip class. And I think part of the equip class is not only what is the gospel, but, but how to share the gospel. So if you're like, I'm, I'm, I'm ill-prepared to sow. Okay, let's get you prepared. Let's get you equipped so that you might be able to, to sow a little better, right? So end of March, equip class. And then the third one is the soil. And I just wrote, be comforted and confident. No, it is God who works, God who softens heart, God who brings life, God who builds his kingdom. This is really good news because you and I, we don't have to convert, convict, convince, or condemn anyone. Amen. We just need to point them to Christ. Everyone's already condemned, okay? That's just the raw reality, but Christ sets them free, takes them from condemnation to liberation. Let's just sow. Let's just sow this Jesus, sow this seed, regardless of the soil, saying, Lord, you, you do what you want, how you want. My closing sentence is this. Maybe it's two. God doesn't call us to manufacture or manipulate the gospel message. He just calls us to make it known. And so let us be committed to simply share the gospel and entrust God's grace to bring forth life and to build his kingdom as he sees fit.